Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May this service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Oh, my God. 
The second book of Chronicles, chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. Then God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. We know that in this city there was the main, um, the main altar upon which Solomon, searching for God, had lifted a thousand offerings, and God turned to him with the question, ask what you shall be given in this doing so god gave solomon the choice and had tested him will he remain faithful and fulfilling his will or not the thing is is that the fulfillment of the will of god for solomon was expressed in his calling as a king and for the fulfillment of this calling solomon had to have the wisdom of god as kings and priests unto god we like solomon stand before the necessity of fulfilling the calling of kings and priests and this means that we stand before the need to daily make a decision from which will depend how successful how prosperously we can or how successful we can fulfill our calling a thousand is a number that symbolizes humility that invites the mercy of God in receiving the necessary grace for the fulfillment of our calling take a look that a thousand truly means a divine mercy Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 or 7. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. You see here what a thousand means. A thousand is the mercy of God that extends for a thousand generations so god can save a person if somewhere in a thousand generations long away from him was somebody who who was his worshiper and thanks to him through this genetic lineage through a thousand generations he can save a person who belongs to this this branch this is what a thousand means numbers in scripture as we know all of them symbolize some kind of principle and some kind of promise some kind of god's promise and in this case a thousand offerings is an image of the mercy of the lord which he, Solomon had gained. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Take a look here. Punishment is up to the third and fourth generation, but mercy is for a thousand generations. You know that thousand generations will never happen. A thousand is just the eternal mercy of God. Because when um, time concludes, not just a thousand years will pass, but uh, even 200 generations will not have time to pass. We're not as old as we think. From the birth of Adam, not that much generations have passed. Therefore, from this symbolically, in, doing, in this, a thousand offerings that Solomon had offered had turned the mercy of God upon him. 
This doesn't mean that we need to 1,000 times pray to gain mercy, but this example points to the quality of our prayer, what kind of goal we're pursuing, either the fulfillment of God's, the interests of God. The strive to fulfill the will of God always expresses humility. So when I pray, when, when I desire to know the will of God, to fulfill the will of God, this is humility. Because in order to search for the will of God, it is necessary to reject our own will. Striving to fulfill our desires, what some kind of action can be viewed by God differently. Everything will depend on the goal that we pursue when we do this good action or good deed. If we, like Abel, an offering, an offering to God of tithes and offerings, we'll search for the fulfillment of His will. God will look upon us, have mercy on us, and will pour His blessings on us abundantly. And this, first and foremost, means that He will clothe us into um, His inheritance. Therefore, these blessings will be expressed in riches that have been kept for us that will be prepared to be revealed to the end of days so that through the proclamation of our faith, we can realize our salvation. If we, like Cain, in the offering to God of tithes, will search for our, the fulfillment of our own needs by using God's principles of faith, God will reject us as well as our sacrifices, and we, like Cain, will, will be found in the land of Nod. Offering our dividends not to himself but to us. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. In Hebrew, the land Nod means audacity, self will, witchcraft. So when a person places his own mind higher, not just equal to, but when Saul said, I thought that this would be better in order to, to sacrifice to God. Although God said what was pleasing to him, he, against the word of Samuel that he had received from God, he said, I thought that this would be better, therefore I saved King uh, Agag and the best of the sheep. And he said, that which you have done, this is witchcraft. This is self-will and audacity. This kind of service to God today, nowadays, is present in many services. They are practically found in the land of Nod, but they don't realize this, because this is a kind of service that it even entices the sons of God. Daughters of this service, the daughters of Cain, are so beautiful, are so... Uh, beautiful that they entice them and we've talked about this many times what the difference is between the wives of the son of men who came from Cain and the wives of the sons of God that came from Seth then it said then began to call in the name of the Lord those who call in the name of the Lord were called the sons of God and those people who had called God on their own conditions were called the son of men therefore it's very important to understand what we pursue when we honor God, God in tithes and offerings, we pursue, do we pursue for God to bless us with material riches or do we pursue the goal and we want to acknowledge what God is preparing for us in the end days and the inheritance of imperishable riches? Because if we acknowledge this inheritance and if we are clothed in it, we are going to be glorified than any other nation on the earth. And then God says to Solomon, 
He says, because you have asked for wisdom, and now you will receive not just wisdom, but you will receive glory, riches, such riches that did not exist before you and shall not exist after you. I am deeply certain that the children of God that are going to be clothed into their new man will receive a unique opportunity, capability that will surpass all of the businessmen, all of and in their hands everything will be that's why they're going to bring everyone into shock and they're not going to think about this now because if we think that having been clothed into the new man that we are going to control the riches of the earth we're never going to be clothed in him uh, having received these riches we will be able to only use them according to the will of God and only in those institutes where God says through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. We are going to honor God right now. The tithes and offerings worship Him. Because without the honoring of tithes and offerings, our worship will not be perfect and we will sing together. Let us stand. This is our opportunity to again and again to cut the root of all evil, which is love for money. Each time we with joy give to the correct institutes or there which we receive food where the word of God is poured out. We cut the root of all evil which is love for money. Therefore, let us sing. And I would remind you that each time Israel had honored God in tithes and offerings in the temple of Solomon or in the tabernacle um, they were called to, according to the words that Moses had received as a revelation from God, to raise their hands over their offerings and to proclaim one proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel tied to the same root, drinking from the fruit of the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I do not give in purely, I do not give in sorrow, and I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, Right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
Бог, Владыка, Вечный Царь, Вселенной, Всемогущий мир. 
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of God's wisdom and the mystery of our purpose and our relationship with Him. Matthew 5, 45 and 48. <clears throat> that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. We have a sun and we have rain, just as God has the sun and the rain. The rain is his life, this is his mercy or his wrath. 
the Son is also either His mercy or His wrath. Upon the righteous and the divine, He shines with His divine light. He does not burn them. He does not and he pours out in measure his rain, the early and the late rains. On the unclean, he pours out his rain with fire and destroys them and burns them with his sun. We read this in Job, the most ancient book, that the Lord sends his clouds filled with water, either for mercy or for punishment. And so to trust that the sun shines for the same for the good and the for the just and unjust is incorrect god's love is not so it's holy it is selective he loves everything that is holy and hates everything that is lawless and cannot bless lawlessness together with righteousness Linked to the path that leads us to perfection, we had been studying the path that leads us to God, as to our groom in the symbolic story of the path of Rebecca to Isaac, and have been studying the signs presented in the Bride of the Lamb. Rebecca presented these signs in the virtues of the lily of the valleys, as it is written, look at the lily that we are called to look at with the eyes of faith or the eyes of our heart to form ourselves into the image of perfection that is in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. And for this purpose, Rebecca left her nation, her house, and her former life, so she may go to her groom Isaac by following Eleazar, the overseer of the house of Abraham. Eleazar is presented in Scripture as a symbol of the Holy Spirit that had come down upon the disciples of the Lord in the day of the celebration of the Pentecost to bring the small flock into perfection in Christ Jesus. His name means God is help. We note that in our situation celebrating the Feast of the Pentecost is receiving <clears throat> the Holy Spirit into our heart. This is not a specific day, but a state that your heart is in. We receive Him not as the, a greatly honored guest, but as the Lord of our life, which will allow us to bind ourselves to the Holy Spirit upon the conditions that are written in Scripture, so we may be led by the Holy Spirit. Until we bind ourselves to the Holy Spirit upon the conditions of Scripture, He cannot lead us. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, Romans 8.14. With this we note that with, with or during the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the unique and destiny-affecting ability to either receive the Holy Spirit in the form of the Lord of our life, to then receive from Him and in Him uh, strength to perform a complete and total separation from our nation, from our house, and from our corrupt desires, oftentimes uh, garmented or dressed into religious uh, religiousness, to then in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit bear to God the fruits of righteousness, that is, lead a godly life that carries the power of the resurrection of Christ, or receive the Holy Spirit in the form of a dear guest, and continue to remain in the dependence of your nation, your house, and your corrupt desires. That is the genetic curse that we have inherited from the sinful life of our fathers. A person not taught how to receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord of his life will never be able to bind himself to the Holy Spirit and understandably will not be able to be led by the Holy Spirit. 
or to follow him to perfection that is in the likeness of the Heavenly Father. In result, this person will lose his sonhood, that is, he will lose his salvation. We more than once note that in accordance to Scripture, a person can speak in tongues and not have insufficiency in any gift, but at the same time remain a person of the flesh, not having the Spirit, and will resist all that comes from the Spirit of God. Apostle Paul wrote about this, you have, you don't have insufficiency in any gift, but I couldn't speak with you as people that are spiritual, but as people of the flesh. Here's what Apostle Jude writes, 1.18-21, through 21, how they told you that there should be would-be mockers in the last times. These are people in the church. He calls them mockers. Why? In the last time, who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are essential persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit, but you, beloved. Yes, these people speak in tongues, but they do not have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to Mesopotamia, and all received him. Laban and Bethuel did, the father of Rebekah, and he gave them gifts. He gave them gifts. He gave gifts to Rebekah and to them. And the gifts he gave Rebekah were, uh, of course, uh, exclusive and different from the others and in that very night he came and in the early morning he left and they remained with the gift the Holy Spirit did not stay with them but the gifts remained but the Holy Spirit himself went and took Rebecca with him to Isaac the Holy Spirit is here for one reason and that is to take us and to bring us into perfection in Christ Jesus uh, when Jesus appears to discipline the church to grow her and now 2,000 years the Lord disciplines her and with every uh, generation or millennia uh, the church grows spiritually and the chosen by God remainder, they grow. It's very difficult to see uh, behind all of the noise and the large movements, those small uh, small numbers of chosen that, hate, that are hated, that are trampled upon, that... And for, the, for her sake did he come to take her out from this Mesopotamia, from this Babylon, where things of men are being mixed with things of God. These are people who separate themselves from the unity of the faith, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, hearing, it from the, wor hearing the word of God, not reading, but hearing the word of God that comes from the mouth of God, praying, therefore in the holy faith therefore speaking in tongues and practicing spiritual gifts are truly spiritual experiences but they are not called to make us spiritual or to change our character into the character of Christ that we have inherited from the sinful conduct and life of our fathers therefore to change our character into the character of Christ we are given the truth of the cross of Christ contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh called to separate us from our 
nation, our house, and our fleshly desires. Without the collaboration of our cross with the cross of Christ, all of our religious work, that is, our good deeds or so-called evangelism, is identified in Scripture as lawlessness, for which a person will be thrown into the darkness where there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. In a particular format, we have already looked at the essence and the difference between our cross and the cross of Christ. Because only by collaborating our cross with the cross of Christ are we able to be separated from our house, our nation, and our personal life, as well as based upon what principles is our cross called and able to collaborate with the cross of Christ. And stop to study the third question, by what signs are we able to determine that our cross collaborates with the cross of Christ and not its counterfeit? Because the spirit of deception will present himself as an angel of light and will imitate the Holy Spirit and will imitate the teaching it will be as uh, slogans th that will be given, but they will not be presented in the light of the truth. And such signs in our heart, which we have been thoroughly studying, are to be fruits of resurrection and the fruits of the tree of life that bears fruit 12 times, giving its fruit each month, which is called to be the kingdom of heaven within us. The key that opens the path to the tree of life are the twelve pearly gates that reveal our abiding with Christ in his trials. And so a pearl is the result of the sufferings of the mollusk. When something falls in, as you know, it can't push it out. And so it begins to suffer, she begins, or this, this mollusk begins to suffer, and it begins to coat this uh, either little stone or whatever falls in into this pearl. And so pearly gates are the component of suffering. We can't be delivered from our body just like that. It remains with us. We suffer. Apostle Paul says, I suffer because my spirit is in this mortal body. The spirit is immortal and free, but is within this mortal body. We cannot uh, be freed from it. And we begin to then coat our suffering, our reaction to the suffering in this body that we can't come out of it to, to in full in our full freedom to be able to uh, serve God and we become, become then the pearl we coat ourselves and this pearl gives us the ability or opportunity to enter into the tree of life Luke 22 28 through 30 but you are those who have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel Luke 22, 28 through 30 considering that the function of Christ that he delegated to his people we see that the key that opens the path to the tree of life is abiding with God's delegated leaders in their trials it is them that the, the devil wants to destroy he wants to uh, corrupt their, uh, their image and their uh, intentions he uh, perverses the truth and, he, and that is why they crucified Christ as well they called them a, a heretic those who not those who uh, stand uh, 
by the cross, but who is on the cross with Christ is the one that will share his kingdom over the world. You can stand by the cross or at the cross as much as you want, but you will not get anything from that. You need to die with him upon the cross. You need to be crucified with him upon the cross. You need to be submerged into the baptism of death. This is the teaching of the cross that will allow us, help us to separate ourselves from our nation, our house, and from our fleshly life. Considering that the function of Christ delegated again to his persons, his people, the key that opens the path to the tree of life is abiding again with God's delegated leaders in their trials. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, which we see as the inheritance of eternal life, is presented in the Eden of our heart, in the image of the tree of life that bears fruit twelve times, giving its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. We note that it's talking about the church here on earth that of what will happen to a person or in a person on earth because in heaven there will not be sicknesses or sorrow there will not be a need to heal anyone there and it says here the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations we need to grow here such a tree that with its fruit would uh, bring joy to God and with its leaves would allow uh, healing not to heal all nations in general but the nations that have come to God to be a light to the world to heal is to be a light that doesn't mean have gifts of healing but heal them with the healing light of resurrection when people receive the light of resurrection not all can be a light if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Those that are spiritual children have light in them, but it's a darkness. God created the heavens and the earth in the first day of his creation. He breathed resurrection into the planet earth because it was dead. All the minerals in the water from which uh, he created the earth were dead. And he said, let there be light. And so when it says, let there be light, let there be resurrection, light is the resurrection of life, and the material became living, and nothing happened further, however, after this, the light was not able to control the earth, the fact that this light uh, enlivened these minerals, these materials that were in the water, this light did not rule over the earth only in the fourth day when the Lord created the great lights the, and the stars to be able to direct the earth or control the earth. As children they, that are in spiritual childhood, they are in a light that is darkness. The dark rem, darkness remained. There were not no great lights. They could not be a light to the world. They were still children of God. And if they don't pass or pass over into the position or level of righteousness, the, the, they will be then plucked out. That's what we're talking about here. <clears throat> These are, this is what it means, the leaves for the healing of the nations. That's when you become a light, when you begin to uh, be understanding to those that are spiritual children, don't pay attention to their criticism or their stumbling. They are always stumbled upon something, either clothing that someone's wearing or uh, hairdos or they have no understanding that 
The life of God begins from inside and not outside. You can dress a person in religious garments, but you can't change the inner essence of this person. Oftentimes people dressed in religious garments are inside as a washed tombs, as Jesus said. The 12 months of the Holy Year were the tree of life where the tree of life yields its fruit each month are the fruits of the resurrection or the fruits of righteousness. And so these 12, uh, these 12 months, the 12 months is the order of the kingdom of heaven. And these are the tree, this is where we see the tree of life uh, that, it, that happens uh, each of the months of the, for the 12 months. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, Hebrews 10.1. In a particular format, we together have already looked at the fruits of our spirit presented in the symbol of the fruits of the tree of life that we, we see and yield within the first new three months of the holy year, and I've been studying the fourth a month that is called Tammuz, and we are called to yield fruit within the fourth month to please the Heavenly Father. In Israel, on the 17th day of the fourth month of Tammuz, the people fast in memory of the two broken tablets of Moses. In Israel, the days of the fast were considered the days of the demonstration of sorrow, where a person hang hungered his body and in the time of prayer spread out under himself sackcloth and ashes to show God his sorrow and the humility of his soul. First Kings 21, 27 through 29, this talks about the unclean king Ahab. When he heard the words of, of God, he be, became greatly afraid and put sackcloth under himself and hungered himself asking for mercy. So it was when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in, this, in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity of his house. By prophet Isaiah, however, God shows that the outer appearance of a fast does not always correspond to the inner state of the person, and such disbalance between your inner position and outer displeases God. <clears throat> Isaiah 58, 5 Is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? It is, is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? However, God, by the means of activating the law of his grace, intended on changing in root the consistency and atmosphere of the fast from sorrow to gladness and cheer. Zechariah 8, 18, 19 Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of, of Judah, therefore love, truth, and peace. This very prophetic truth for those who fast was given by Jesus, which he made a law and instruction to his disciples and their followers. Matthew 6, 16 through 18, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that 
that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you openly. So to check whether the bre breaking of the two tablets of the covenant happened specifically in the 17th day of the fourth month, it is enough to count back 40 days from the 17th day of the fourth month. That, <coughs> as we can see, will put us at the seventh day of the third month. This was the day of the new moon when Moses went up to Mount Sinai. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day of the new moon, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidah, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness, so Israel camped before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you <coughs> on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Exodus 19, 1-4. The new moon of the third month is a, is a symbol of birth of the new person created in accordance to God in righteousness and holy truth. The new moon is always a symbol of birth. Every month there was a new moon and God uh, saw a feast or celebration in each of these months at the, at the time of the new moon. And so the new moon is a symbol of the Church of Jesus Christ. This is the birth of the Church of Jesus Christ. And 40 days within which time God wrote the Ten Commandments of His Covenant with the nation of Israel is a symbol of the state of spiritual childhood. The breaking of the two tablets of the covenant was the mark of exiting this position of spiritual childhood and entering spiritual maturity. In accordance with the law, only after the days of purification were finished, on the 40th day was a male child was able to be presented before the Lord to be dedicated to God. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written by the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Luke 2.22-23 In scripture, a symbol of purification is a symbol of justification that a person was able to receive freely by grace in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In this fourth month, those who lived on elevations approached the harvest of wheat, and the first grapes would begin to mature. It was the start of the summer heat. Upon practice, any and each feast was accompanied with some sort of harvest, or more accurately, was the harvest of some kind of sowing. The symbolic 40th day in which the day of purification were completed, <coughs> that were marked by the breaking of the two tablets of the covenant, symbolized the destruction or elimination by the teaching of Christ, the handwriting of requirements that was against us. And so this law upon the, uh, upon the t uh, tablets was a curse for the people. 
or it, it was a judgment against them. Colossians 2, 11 through 14. <clears throat> in him you were also circumcised in Christ with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also raised which you are also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and this uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he had taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross <clears throat> We note that if a man will not bear fruits of the new fourth month that is revealed in the two broken tablets of the covenant <coughs> so that he can have evidence of the fact that he in Jesus Christ by the law of Moses died for the law of Moses so he can live for God and live by God then he will forever lose the salvation that he received in the format of a guarantee. Galatians 2, 19, 20 For I, I through the law died to the law that I might live to God and I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God. In these two broken tablets of the covenant we see the result that comes from the confrontation of two glorious, great, powerful, and tectonic laws. One law gives power to sin, and the other law takes power from this sin. Both laws by themselves are godly, and together present the holy, eternal, and unchanging, in its essence, nature of God, as well as His holy, good, and unchanging goals. <clears throat> Therefore, before we die by the law, for the very same law that gives power to sin, so we can live for God, it is necessary for a person to be born from the seed of the word of truth. <clears throat> Otherwise, how will he die for the law? He first needs to be born from the seed of the word of truth. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James 1.18 <clears throat> Only born from the seed of the word of truth can we then stand before the opportunity and requirement to die for the law by the law, to live for God through crucifixion with Christ. We note that we need to differentiate the form of justification that we receive in the moment of our birth in the seed of the word of truth from the other form of justification that we are called to receive as fruit, as a seal, <coughs> confirmation of the previously received justification. Therefore, there is a big difference existing between the seed of justification by the means of which we are born from God and between the fruits of the seed, where our justification bears fruit of righteousness and we receive the seal of righteousness. <coughs> Regarding the bearing of fruit of the fourth new month with the tree of life, which demonstrates the kingdom of heaven coming in power within the heart, <coughs> within our heart, identified in the two broken tablets of the covenant which we see a confirmation of our justification in which we are called to bear fruit of righteousness <clears throat> we're going to answer the questions what is the natural essence or root of righteousness from what wellspring does righteousness come and what is justification also what characteristics do the scriptures give the word righteousness justification and righteous <clears throat> What purpose is justification supposed to fulfill? Or in what way is justification supposed to reveal or show itself? What conditions or requirements are we supposed to fulfill? 
to receive justification and to be dressed into righteousness. <clears throat> and forth, by what results are we able to judge that we possess within our spirit the tree of life that bears fruit, <clears throat> the fruit of the fourth month, that is, the fruit of righteousness. We note that the etymology of the words righteousness, justification, and righteous contain a sufficiently rich in multiple meaning semantics. <clears throat> as these words are a revelation of who God is for us and what God has done for us and what we need to do to inherit all that God has done for us. <coughs> In Hebrew, the word righteousness means holiness, the law, covenant, justification. This is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is lawfulness, fairness. The righteousness of God is commandment, statute, regulation. The righteousness of God is judgment, justice, fairness. The righteousness of God is directness, faithfulness, truthfulness. The righteousness of God is constance, continuation, immutability, truthfulness, truth, wisdom, the light of life, honesty, sincerity, purity, the resurrection of life, <coughs> and the liberty of Christ. Now justification that we now receive <coughs> is eternal redemption, is being pur purchased from bondage of sin and death, the elimination of guilt or not inputting of sin, being taken into the personal belonging and lot of God, its adoption and the resurrection from the dead. <coughs> Now, the word righteous, when a person has received righteousness, means holy, acceptable, guiltless, upright, before God, honest, fair, free from the oath, <clears throat> not bounded by sin, dead to sin, living for righteousness, being in a covenant with God, relying and trusting in God, <clears throat> pleasant before God, finding the favor of God, honoring God with your tithes and offerings, abiding in God and rejoicing in God, spreading the fragrance of Christ. <clears throat> Righteousness that now we reveal or express is hope and trust in God. If a person hopes and trusts in God during any kind of... Uh, earthquake or loss, this is the fruit of righteousness, faith that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, peace with God based upon a covenant with God, righteousness is sanctification of your dedication, righteousness is observation of the justice of God, righteousness is expressing holiness and performing justice, righteousness is expressing upright joy remaining in your church, offering to God a sacrifice of praise, honoring God with tithes and offerings, and righteousness is revealing virtue in your faith. <clears throat> virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and so forth. Looking at this truth be told multifaceted, multi-meaning, and multifunctional statement, in defining righteousness and justification, we've made a note that the scriptures consider all of these terms in regards to man legitimate and lawful exclusively 
within the format and boundaries of the service of justification <clears throat> that belongs to the new covenant. The service of justification is based on and established upon the law of grace. That is contrary to the service of condemnation which we see in the law of Moses. And if in the service of condemnation the format of the law of Moses that was carved upon the stone tablets and was written by God was given to the sinful and lawless man, which meant giving power to sin and being condemned to death, then following the breaking of the two tablets where a person received justification, new tablets of the covenant were carved and written not by God but by man, symbolized revealing of righteousness in the heart of a man in which a person is able to perform the justice of God in accordance to the written statutes. <clears throat> Considering this form of justification that a man receives in the two broken tablets of the covenant, the symbol of the new tablets that were carved and written by man upon the tablets of his heart were unable to condemn the righteousness of God in man and actually gave the justified man power to be a minister of the new covenant to perform the righteousness of God. As it is written in 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 11, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter but of the spirit, for the letter kills but the spirit gives life. For this to happen, the first two tablets need to be broken, to die within the death of Christ. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of, the, of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passed passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, so this was temporary and was passing away, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Second Corinthians 3, 6 through 11. <clears throat> According to the given place of Scripture, we see that the righteousness of God revealed within the boundaries of grace that rose from the two broken tablets of the covenant and in the new tablets in the new heart of a man became the law of the spirit of life and the law of liberty in Christ Jesus. The righteous man became in accordance to Scripture a God-fearing man, one who honors the law of grace, one who lives by the law of grace, and one who does not sin against the law of grace. That is, he does not peddle or damage the truth within his his heart considering that righteousness identifies and finds itself in holy truth. It is necessary for us to determine which of the two terms is the root and which of the two terms grows from the root, because righteousness and truth have two different two different meanings. Based upon the definitions in Scripture, righteousness comes from the united root of two terms, holiness and truth. At the same time, the unity of holiness and truth reveals itself in righteousness, just as the Father reveals himself in his Son, or as the seed reveals itself in the fruit. And so the seed of truth reveals itself in fruit, in righteousness. Therefore, holy truth is the determination of the state of the human heart. At the same time, holy righteousness is the expression of the state that is contained in holy truth. And so if a person possess truth when, possesses truth in his heart, he will begin to perform righteousness. This will be expressed in righteousness. Therefore, the legitimacy of righteousness is always examined and confirmed by the springs of its genesis. And so <clears throat> the root of holy truth 
is concern, confirmed by its genesis. That is the root of holy truth, a holy word of, word of truth that comes to us in, from Scripture. The righteousness of God is, first of all, the judgment or justice of God, which defines good and evil and separates good from evil. We, in a particular format, in part, have already looked at specific characteristics of the righteousness of God in the heart of man. We note that the judgment of any righteousness of God we see in the two broken tablets is eternal and comes from the truth of the word of God that by its eternal nature is the holy wellspring, holy root, and holy foundation for the judgment of all righteousness. Psalm 119.160, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. When talking about every word of God coming from the mouth of God and identifying the eternal essence of God is the first most truth, we need to always keep in mind that this is always and firstly holy truth, not just truth, but holy truth, that identifies the inner essence of the entrails of God. Because God, by His eternal, unchanging, and immeasurable natural essence, is always first everlastingly holy. Due to this, the righteousness of God is firstly always a holy righteousness, as well as eternal, unchanging, and unconditional. The word holy first belongs to God, and only after to those who are born from Him. In essence, God, who by His eternal and unchanging nature is holy, is eternally separated from evil and is not part of any found evil. Further, the love of God is firstly a holy love, and therefore a selective love. Therefore, God, a priori, is not able to love that which in its beginning is not holy. His holy love is always proportionate to his holy hate towards evil and lawlessness. He loves with an unconditional love all that is holy in its genesis or its beginning and hates with an unconditional hatred all that is lawless in its genesis or its beginnings. Psalm 45, 7, it is also written in Hebrews, you love righteousness and hate wickedness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Righteousness and lawlessness are two battling with each other programs and are not able to, they're not able to be anything out of a programmable system. The program itself means nothing. <clears throat> out of a programmable system that is a person or an angel. These programs, righteousness and lawlessness, are not able to reveal themselves out of them. God from the beginning loved his holy righteousness in man and angels, and from the beginning hated the profane to him lawlessness in man and angels, <clears throat> together with those men and angels. Further, carriers of lawlessness as the angels that did not keep their position, and men also who did not accept the love of truth and defile the temple of their spirit by leaving their church, are vessels of his his sun scorching and powerful wrath. <clears throat> At the same time, carriers of his holy righteousness, keeping themselves from getting in contact with lawlessness and carriers of lawlessness, are vessels of his mercy, as it is written, Romans 9:22 through 24. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called not just of Jews only, 
only, but of the Gentiles. In a specific format, as much as the Lord, the Lord has allowed and the measure of our faith, we have already looked at the personified essence of the righteousness of God, that is, the Heavenly Father, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit, as well as the holy people, in the format of their justification. And stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, what goals does the righteousness of God within our heart called to pursue? And in part that purpose of righteousness within the heart of a man received by him in the two broken tablets and confirmed in the new tablets of his new heart. <coughs> and so the purpose of righteousness is directed or oriented on establishing the root of the righteous and to lead them out of trouble that is from the catch or net of evil prepared for the righteous one by the wicked one. Proverbs 12, 12, 13, the wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. The wicked is ensnared by the transgressions of his lips, but the righteous will come through, come through trouble. And to escape the nets or catch of evil into which the wicked one is trying to catch the righteous, we decided to define the nets or catches of evil as well as the strong root of the righteous, for the sake of which the wicked are the ones that fall into their own net and the righteous come out of them. And so he casts this net upon the righteous, but the righteous comes out and the wicked himself falls into it. In the previous service, we in a specific form already looked at six signs that identify the nets of evil. We, in short formulations, will look at their essence and afterwards will look at the strong root of the righteous. First, the net of evil into which the wicked want to catch the righteous is a symbol of a cunningly devised words with which he is trying to discredit the moral character of the righteous as well as the holiness in the teaching of Christ that the righteous confess. Secondly, the net of evil into which the wicked wants to catch the righteous is the nullification or, or removal of the fear of the Lord and replacing it with the tolerance towards lawlessness and the lawless and represents it as the love of God. <clears throat> God doesn't love everyone uh, unconditionally. He <clears throat> has loved his righteousness in man and hated lawlessness and hated lawlessness that is in man. The net of evil, third, into which the wicked wants to catch the righteous is not just the replacement of imperishable wealth with perishable, but also ele elevating perishable wealth to a rank of spiritual position. The net of evil into which the wicked want to catch the righteous is attributing the commandment of tithes to the service of the Old Testament and replacing this commandment with independent offerings. <coughs> When we know that tithes are not the is not the service of the Old Testament, because it's not the product of the Old Testament, it existed before the Old Testament. It found its place in the Old Testament and continues to be, because God is not changing in His words. <clears throat> the net of evil into which the wicked want to catch the righteous is changing the goal or purpose of sanctification as well as the conditions of sanctification itself, while still keeping an outward appearance of deceiving godliness in which there is an absence of the true power of salt and godliness in holy truth. <clears throat> the net of evil into which the wicked want to catch the righteous is replacing the order of the kingdom of heaven, that is the structure of theocracy that identifies the at atmosphere of the kingdom of God. Now that, now, 
they replace it usually with dictatorship or other things. Now, what is the consistency of the strength of the root of the righteous, for the sake of which the righteous receive the ability to come out of the nets from which the wicked dis, uh, desire to trap him? The, things, the thing is that the nature of the strong root of the righteous is also a net, but only one that is made up of the confessions of the faith of our heart, into which the righteous catch himself, and this net into which the righteous catch himself is called king's palaces. Proverbs 30:28. The spider skillfully gra grasps with its hands and is in king's palaces. <coughs> this is the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. When we confess the faith of our heart and faith is hearing the Word of God, we confess the Word of God by in the power of the Holy Spirit, and in this way we <coughs> spin our our web. And as uh, as a spider, he sits at near the door and as soon as he feels that there's airflow or a small wind he uh, waits there and as soon as the door opens he with this uh, airflow he, he he's pulled in to those courts into those king's palaces <clears throat> in what way a person is able to uh, fall in and end up the doors are closed in what way will we end end up there the doors will be open and then closed it will be opened so by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, those may be brought in that wait at the door and then it will close again but those who did not uh, spin such a, a web uh, will not be at the door that do not they will not be at the door opposite to the six nets of the wicked into which the wicked desire to catch the righteous <clears throat> but end up catching himself we will bring forth six definitions of the strong root of the righteous the reason why the righteous so easily easily avoid the nets of the wicked the first strength of the root of the righteous being the reason why the righteous comes out of trouble prepared for him by the wicked consists in fully understanding and confessing the sure teaching that he is taught by or being, in, is being instructed in, in the faith. <clears throat> And so this person needs to be instructed by a person that is sent by God. And when he learns, he'll be able to avoid these uh, these traps or these nets. Luke 1, 3, 4. It, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account most excellent, Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. <clears throat> This was a person that had power, authority, that had repented, and Luke dedicates a whole book to him. The book of Luke was dedicated to Theophilus, but the Holy Spirit gave us the ability to read it as well. Uh, at one time when there was about pent uh, there was a Pentecostal service and 120 people gathered to listen to the teaching about the kingdom of heaven and when I brought forth this place of scripture to show that the washing of feet was not a requirement at the Passover feast and I brought forth the book of Luke where it explains very clearly that the devil entered into Judas Iscariot, but nothing yet happened. The devil entered into Judas Iscariot, and in this time Jesus says to his disciples, go into the city and prepare 
In accordance to this place of scripture, you can see the 13th chapter of John, where it talks about the washing of feet, that it was not in the day of the Passover feast, it was on in a different day than the day of the Passover feast. Uh, <coughs> And so one brother stood up and said, you know what, we need to remove the book of Luke because it's not, uh, this isn't true because I, by the book of Luke and Mark showed <coughs> that the washing of feet did not happen. Uh, as a commandment and was not as a requirement but was an example of forgiveness uh, washing each other's feet is a, is a symbol of forgiveness and to be able to keep their false uh, teachings they wanted to tear the book of Luke out of the Bible and I understood that a lot of those who were sitting there understood that the book of Luke was not to be pulled out but none of them said anything they needed to drown me and uh, they couldn't and so they didn't speak they agreed with with that man and so Jesus said if you're not with me you're against me if you don't want to suffer with me then you will uh, rejoice without me but suffer in a different place it's very important that the sure teaching this is the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh <coughs> When we are studying these 12 teachings and the 12 uh, gates, the 12 foundations of the wall, the 12 precious stones of the breastplate of judgment, the 12 fruits of the tree of life, the 12 uh, oxen that held the bronze sea, and we study these, uh, these things. And if a person is unfamiliar with this teaching, then that means this person will easily just be uh, caught in any kind of deception or, or he will follow those things because <coughs> he doesn't know what is right. <coughs> Second, the strength of the root of the righteous being the reason why the righteous comes out of trouble prepared for him by the wicked consists in the seal of God which states the Lord knows those who are his that is pre present in the heart of the righteous one and is, a, and is usually on a solid foundation. This foundation is the teaching of Christ. And so, as he says, I want to give you uh, a certain foundation or a strong foundation. <coughs> Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who knows the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 2 Timothy 2.19 And so this person... Jesus prayed that let there be one. To be one, it just happens by knowing God. There is a term, uh, knowing, and Adam knew his wife, Eve. When a person knows his wife, man or husband or wife, they become one flesh. When God knows a person, he becomes one with God. It's talking about... and. Let, and the Lord knows those who are his the Lord cannot or a person cannot confess the name of the Lord if he does not have this solid foundation or this sure teaching 
depart from iniquity is to come out of the nets laid by the wicked for the righteous, coming out using the solid teaching of Christ or the sure teaching of Christ. The third strength of the root of the righteous being the reason why the righteous come out of trouble prepared for him by the wicked consists in having strong consolation or comfort that comes from the hope that is already in his heart that contains within itself the treasure of the blood of Christ and the power of the cross of Christ. Hebrews 6, 18 through 20, that by two mutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge the lay hold of hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. The anchor is cast usually when there's a, a, a great storm, where the forerunner has entered for us even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek and so the anchor is thrown into the water so that the the, the ship can uh, stand and not turn over and so this anchor is this is this hope uh, <coughs> Jesus, being the forerunner, enters in behind the veil before the face of God. And Jesus came in, be, become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. We know that the two things that are entered into the holy place are the, uh, the showbreads and the blood of the covenant that is entered behind the veil. Because of these two things, God is not able to lie because he, <clears throat> he says, I give my son for you. And in the 12 showbreads, he shows you, he is your uh, bread of life. I deliver you from death and give you eternal life. These two things that God gives a person and this person enters behind the veil and we have them, but we don't all, it's one thing to read it and another thing to have it within your heart, to have this hope in your heart. When you fall into sin and they tell you that's it, it's the end for you. One told me, I fast for 40 days, and the Lord has now forgiven me. And I said, no, he hasn't. To be forgiven, you don't need to fast 40 days. You need to fast <coughs> to not fall into sin so when sin is pressuring you. But when you have already fallen into sin, you need to ask for forgiveness as a gift. God wants you to accept justification freely, accept justification freely by grace. God wants justification to be free and not be not earned with your prayers or fasting or good work or evangelism or anything else. First, a person needs to become righteous and then perform righteousness. Yes, we receive justification and become righteous. Can we fall into sin? Yes. The righteous can fall seven times, it says. Pay attention. When we fall, we know that we sinned. But we don't lose our justification in this moment. Why? Because we run to God and say, I have sinned. How do we run to God? The person that is in the church presents the Lord. And Jesus says, I am going, but I am sending the Holy Spirit. I pass on the mandate. I pass on to them my power or authority, and the ones they forgive sin will be forgiven, and the ones that are retained will be retained. And so come to God and say, Lord, forgive me, I've sinned. 
God has his delegated person that needs to forgive. You need to come to the anointed of God, the pastor of the church, not that you have elected, but one that God has placed by his word. You know how people were placed. Apostles placed them. And that's how it happened and is today. One person chooses another person or anoints another person and not the church by the form of voting. An apostle selects and places and anoints. And so when we have such a person, when we have a person that will be, to exp be able to explain these two things, place them into us and we accept them, then we can come out of trouble that the uh, uh, wicked will cast upon us. Fourth, the strength of the root of the righteous being the reason why the righteous comes out of trouble prepared for him by the wicked consists in having boldness and confidence that abides and is kept in your heart and by which you boast. Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Show me people who actually boast boast about the Lord. People boast about evangelism and miracles uh, and good work that they do. They boast about whatever, but they don't boast about... Uh, boldness and hope they don't know what boldness means they don't know what hope means I preached about this 20 years and in the church there was a person that I did not allow him to preach and he was a member and with the unclean they left he stood up and said that boldness hope and trust are our, our hope and trust are almost the same thing and I say where was this person the whole time and these people uh, looked at him uh, with great surprise where has this person been it's been preached for 20 years what hope and, and trust is and so trust comes from hope Hope is something you rely upon and then you trust because you have hope. These are, these are the father and son, these are the mother and daughter, this is the seed and the fruit. And when people can sit in church for 20 years and the same thing is preached and these people don't understand, then these are the kinds of people God will cast out of the church because they're rebellious. And so, when people don't boast about him but something else, then that means they're already caught into the nets of the unclean or the wicked, and that they're already candidates <coughs> of hell and don't know that. But people who boast about confidence and boldness in God <coughs> will stand. <coughs> Fifth, the strength of the root of the righteous being the reason why the righteous come out of trouble prepared for him by the wicked consists in the continual sanctification of your dedication where the righteous always bears the fruits of holiness. We dedicate ourselves to God as kings and priests. Now that we've dedicated ourselves, we need to sanctify to keep it. 
God said to Adam and Eve so that they keep the Garden of Eden to keep it from who? From the serpent so that he not enter in. But they allowed him to enter. That means they were not sanctify, sanctifying their dedication, the place of their meeting with God, that no evil or rebellious thought enter in. That would, for the benefit of the flesh, uh, corrupt the place, uh, the, the scriptures, and there are a lot of preachers that corrupt the, the scriptures for the benefit of their flesh, and people listen to them. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is not a three-day encounter. This is the, uh, the entire, your entire life. Every moment of our life, we need to keep ourselves from sin. Sanctification is not, being, not coming in contact with sin. This is not come in contact with the unclean. You see how Elijah sanctified himself. He he said, uh, dig out a trench around the altar of the Lord. He built the altar from 12 stones and said, dig out a trench around, and they dug it out, and they said, put the wood. They put the, put the offering, and 12 buckets of water pour out upon this offering. <clears throat> and the water filled the trench and the offering. Idol worshippers were standing around. <clears throat> who were worshipping Baal <clears throat> and Astartes, and he separated himself from them. <clears throat> this is sanctification. Mm. The will of God is sanctifi your sanctification, that you keep yourself abstain from sexual immorality. This doesn't mean cleanse yourself from sexual immorality. This is to abstain from. It's people in these encounters, they say, this person has a spirit of... Uh, of the spirit of uh, fornication or other sp spirits of any of, of various sins when they're not spirits they're just uh, our flesh that has all these sins in it and so you don't rebuke it as a demon you <coughs> you keep yourself withhold yourself from these sins as it says for this is the will of God your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because of the Lord. He is the avenger of all such, as we also were forewarned and forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. Therefore he who rejects does not reject man but God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. <coughs> Six, the strength of the root of the righteous being the reason why the righteous comes out of trouble prepared for him by the wicked consists in <coughs> love for righteousness and hatred for lawlessness so that there be a balance because the power of love for righteousness needs to be proportionate to uh, hatred towards lawlessness. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. <clears throat> Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. In this way, the purpose of righteousness in the heart of a man is called to build in the heart of a man the stronghold of God, into which evil cannot enter, as well as the armor by which you are able to destroy all of the strongholds of the enemy. 
not just come out of those nets, but force them into those nets. Make it that the unclean, whatever he wanted to do to you, will fall into him. Not Jesus prayed upon the Golgotha cross, not about the unclean, but about the people who did not know what they were doing. Forgive them that they don't know not what they do. You notice that the Sanhedrin, the elite of that time of the nation of Israel, knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. They knew this was the Son of God, but they knew that if they accept him, that then the service of Aaron will be changed over to the service of Melchizedek and tithes, the Melchizedek will have to receive the tithes and not Levi. And from the fear of losing their positions, they killed them. They perfectly knew. They said, see, we're, we're not uh, successful with the people. They saw in Christ the Son of God. Do you think that they asked the nation that he'll come as a king? They perfectly knew in accordance to Scripture that he will come from the house of David, but he will come from a manger and that he and in order to keep their position they would need to accuse him and to kill him in order to keep their position they counseled they knew and he said woe to you uh, Pharisees and scribes may all the righteous blood be upon you he didn't forgive these people he uh, he put all the blood of the righteous upon them because they themselves did not want to enter and did not allow others to enter. And those who were uh, being convinced by this religious elite group, uh, group uh, about them did the Lord Jesus pray about those who were being led by them but not about them themselves. If you remember, even the centurion, uh, if you remember, he said, truly, this was the man of God. What have you done? About these, God, Jesus was praying. Those who killed him by the command of the high priest, thinking they were killing a criminal, but when he died, how he died, they saw it. I, I think I said this before, when Napoleon was uh, with his uh, soldiers in France, there was atheism, and they were talking about the fact that God was, uh, in their head, that God wasn't existing, and that... Jesus was just a man, he wasn't the son of God. Napoleon looked at them and with great sorrow looked at them and said, a person was not able to die as this man did. I know people and I know how people die. Regular people would not be able to die as he did, as Jesus died. As a Russian poet wrote, uh, he wrote would you have the kind of self-will and ability in yourself in the position that he was in being crucified blessing the people still and teaching about immortality still 
while he was dying. People that were far from God, even these people saw in Christ a person of God. But many people, theologians even today, say that Jesus was just a regular person. He wasn't the, the Son of God. We had one woman here that uh, finished the College of Theology and said this wasn't the, a son of God, this is just a regular person. And she would always complain, saying he was just a regular person. He wasn't, you see what these biblical colleges get you to. God did not create these biblical colleges, he created churches so that it be the place where you can learn and where you would be able to uh, <coughs> mix into him, saturate yourself into him, and prepare your heart for his appearance. If you want to <coughs> confront your nature by the cross of Christ, if you are in sin and Satan says you have no way out, there is a way out. He forgives and you can remain righteous. Right now we will pray for you, and all those who will come out to the altar, they will receive <clears throat> they will be restored in their justification. <clears throat> you will see a new light, a new door. By the teaching of the cross in the kingdom of heaven, God will open to you. He will attract you to himself and make you his elect, if you, if you will want this, of course. Let us bend our knees, however, who is comfortable, and anyone who desires to come to the altar. This is not the stage. This is, uh, this is an altar where the Lord in the Holy Spirit teaches us righteousness, where He restores us and allows us to enter the liberty of Christ. I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He's not against you. He can and is able to right now forgive you and not just forgive you, but justify you also. Make you guiltless before his face. Cast your sins into hell and never ever remember them again. To dress you into righteousness and to attract you to himself, to protect you, to remove the shame you have. Close your eyes, your secret room, and lift your hands to God, a sign that you're ready to receive from him what he desires to give you. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my shame, with my sin, with my dependence, with my fear, with my pain, I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal me, take my shame, protect me, I am yours, I am your child, I open up my heart, enter in, by the power of your spirit, and your word, and heal me, and make me pure, before your face. Right now, before heaven and hell, I want to testify that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am justified, I am healed, I am saved. Amen? Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with a shining face and show you mercy and give you peace. 
May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they will not touch you. May all of these blessings be upon you, the hills and the valleys. May these be upon you and be fulfilled upon your children. And the nation shall say, Amen. And now all of us together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.